knowing I have less time ahead of me than I do behind me, I want to make every message count. And, and to do that, I depend on God to show me, reveal to me in some way exactly what it is that He would have me to preach, and that is where to keep my focus. And, uh, for example, I know that, what, about 10, 11 weeks ago, I guess it was, that I'm convinced that God led me to preach a sermon from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11 on those words, Christ is all. And after that, I spent nine weeks preaching about the prepositions that, that pertain to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in the beginning, I'm not able to put all of the pieces together because I don't always know where it's going. I just, I, I'm just assured that that God was leading me in these various messages. But now, as we come to the message this morning, I can see clearly exactly why God led me to preach all of those other messages. And it's with the hope that people would consider verse 8 of chapter 3, where Paul says, Woe unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? That's what the book of Ephesians is all about. And Paul explains that because when you look back at verse number 6, he's talking about the ministry, not only of him, but of the prophets and the apostles he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me to the effectual working of his power. So Paul, having explained that, goes on and he begins to pray for the, the saints there at Ephesus. And I want you to notice just a part of his prayer beginning in verse number 15. He says, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I can't start this message without thinking about how much could be said about it. It makes me want to preach through the entire book of Ephesians. I've done that before years ago and just maybe God will leave me here long enough that I can preach through it again at some other time. But for now, I want you to just to focus on the phrase there in verse number 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
That word unsearchable means unfathomable. It doesn't mean completely unknowable, but that, that they're not knowable completely. You get it? It's, it's, not like, it's not like you can't know anything about it. You just can't know everything about it. He's telling us that it is impossible to comprehend the measure uh, or, or to explain all that is involved in the unsearchable riches of Christ. When we've said all that we know to say about it, after we've studied for days even and studied the subject, and say all that we know what to say. We've only touched the hem of the garment because there's much more to be said than we can possibly say. Reminds me of someone standing on the shore. Standing on the shore looking out over the ocean. And you see the beautiful water. But you have no idea as to the length of the ocean. You have no idea as to the breadth of the ocean. You have no idea as to how deep the ocean is. And you have no idea as to all of the wealth that is in the ocean, all of the mineral content of it, and all of the wonders of it that's all hidden beneath the surface. You can't see any of that. You can't know any of that, but yet, but yet you gaze upon the beauty of the ocean and and think of it as one of the works of God. And when we talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ, please understand, I know before I begin that I'm going to fail because I cannot possibly describe to you the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so this morning, I want to try to keep it as simple and short as possible. And the good news about it is that I don't have to wonder what to say about the subject. In other words, I don't have to just guess what I'm going to say because the Bible tells us clearly some things that we need to know about the unsearchable riches of Christ. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, I want you to notice verse number 4. You've heard me quote it many times. Paul says, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, I'm starting here because this is where it starts for everyone. God is good. Amen? Because God is good, God does good. God is good all of the time. And God is good to everyone. Jesus said, He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. He said, For He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. So just stop and let your, let your imagination wander as it were and think about all of the different ways in which God demonstrates His goodness. And here we see Paul telling us it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I preach about the law. 
Out of necessity I do that because it is essential that we understand that we are sinners. And so we look at the law of God and in short order we come to realize I can't possibly live up to a standard like that. It makes me aware that I am a sinner before God and in need of forgiveness. I must preach the law. I preach about hell. Jesus preached more about hell than He did about heaven. I preach about hell because it tells us what happens to the lawbreakers. It tells us of the wrath of God. And over and over and over again, the Lord reminded us that hell is real. But it's not hell. And it's not the demands of the law. It's not even... It's not all, even all of the wonders of God. It's the goodness of God that just sweeps us off our feet. And that's why I, you've heard me say so many times, the verse that woke me up, the verse that turned me to Christ was Romans 5, 8. Yeah, God loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, think about it, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly while we were yet sinners. He didn't say you've got to straighten up and fly right, you know, and get your life in order and then I'll love you, then I might save you. He said, I love you just as you are and I can't, I just can't explain what that meant to me the first time I heard at the Community Baptist Church in Willard, Missouri. I mean, I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that my life was a mess. I understood that. And I understood that surely there's going to be a payday for people like me. But boy, whenever I realized that in spite of my sinfulness, that God loved me enough to give His only begotten Son. That's why I preach mostly, as it were, about the goodness of God. That's the thing that leads all of us to repentance. So we see the unsearchable riches of Christ when we look at the goodness of God. But notice here in verse 4, there's more to it than that. He speaks about the, the riches of His goodness, notice, and forbearance. From the moment that we're born into this world, we have a sinful nature. It is a, it is a nature that is anti-God. It is a nature that willfully violates the law of God. It is a nature that causes us to do things that are so foolish that it's counterproductive. Things that cause us to hurt ourselves and others. That sinful nature, that propensity to sin when... Common sense would tell you not to do it. The sinful nature leads us right ahead contrary to the wisdom that would tell us otherwise. And we have to deal with that throughout our lifetime up until the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior. In other words, from the moment that you come into this world with your sinful nature and you begin to act out, Knowing the difference between right and wrong, you violate the laws of God. All of that time, you're living in rebellion. It might be that you were born into a Christian family. They take you to 
They take you to Sunday school and to church. It might be that you carry your Bible to church every week. It might be you read your Bible every night. It might be that you're a very kind, generous person. But you're just as lost as you could possibly be until you come to know Christ as your Savior. Now think about it. All during this time before, whether you're 8 or 80, however many years in between that time period, all of that time you're living in rebellion against God and God could have destroyed you at any moment. And by the way, He would have been justified in doing so. God could have said, you know, they're 21 now. They ought to know better than that. They've been in Sunday school, in church. They own a Bible. There's no reason for them not to behave any better than that. But notice it was His forbearance. Bearing with us, as it were, in spite of our rebellion, His forbearance allowed us to live and enabled us to hear the gospel so that we could learn of Christ. Isn't God's patience amazing? Why? Why does God treat us with such goodness when we absolutely deserve nothing? Notice that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and it's His goodness that leads us to repentance. You see, all of those years in between the time that you're born and the time that you're born again, the sword of His wrath has has been hanging over the back of your neck and it could fall at any moment, but it didn't. When I think back to the time that I was saved and I think about my life before then, I remember going off of Interstate 44 in, in, in my old Ford station wagon about 70 miles an hour. I think it was 70 because I'd gone to sleep and I know I was driving at least 70 And I went off the highway and I woke up in mid-air between there and the bottom. I blew out all of the tires, but it didn't turn over. And thank God my life was spared. I could have died there. I could have died many different times. I could have died the night the fellow that pulled a gun on me in the bar and and, uh, threatened to kill me. I could have died that night. I could have died in my sleep of a heart attack. But God's forbearance enabled me to keep living. And then notice it doesn't end there. Not only His forbearance, but notice His long-suffering. You see, God not not only was willing to bear with us in our folly and spare us, God gave us an opportunity. It'd be one thing if God said, look... I'm not, you just live any old way that you want to, and, and I, I'm going to show forbearance. I'm going to let you live till you're a hundred and die of natural causes. What good would that do if I go to hell when I die? But notice when he speaks here about the fact that God is long-suffering, that tells me that God cares. It tells me that God is concerned. And most of the time... We're given numerous chances to be saved before we're ever saved. I think most of us heard the gospel more than one time, didn't we? There are some here that could raise their hand and say, Preacher, I had been hearing the gospel for years. 
I went to church every week. And all during this time, I was unsaved. And you better thank God that he was long-suffering. He was waiting patiently. All because he did not want you to perish. But make no mistake about it. Because you might be one of those here today that you're religious but lost. It might be that you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior and you've heard the gospel over and over again. You never know when the last opportunity will arise. It could be today. There is a hidden line somewhere between God's mercy and God's wrath. Never presume that you're going to have another chance to be saved. That's why the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. God doesn't promise He'll save you tomorrow because you might not be living tomorrow. You might be in a devil's hell tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. And God has been long-suffering with you, and He's given you this opportunity to receive His Son as your Savior. Well, maybe you're scratching your head. Why in the world does God care so much? What, what difference does it make to Him? Well, go back to Ephesians, this time chapter 1. And notice in verse number 7, Paul says, In whom we have redemption. Thank God for that. We have redemption. How? He says, Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and here it is now, according to, to the riches of His grace. There's absolutely nothing more amazing than the grace of God. That's why John Newton, the old slave trader, what what a wicked, vile man he was. And yet when he come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he was overwhelmed by God's amazing grace. And he wrote that hymn that we're still singing today. The riches of His grace. By the way, every person is saved exactly the same way. There's not one way to heaven for some folks and another way to heaven for others. Only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus. And by the way, it's by grace. It always is. And it's always through faith. It's never by works. So we're all saved the same way, by grace. Grace is the unmerited favor or love of God toward us. Grace gives us what we need rather than what we deserve. You see, nobody is earning their way with God. You say, yeah, but my daddy, before he trusted Christ as his Savior, when I was begging and pleading for him to come to church and, and uh, over and over again, he say, said to me, Son, I, I don't see any reason I need to go to church. I'm just as good as any of those people down there. And he wasn't lying. I mean, he had a lot of problems. Uh, you know, he was lost. But morally speaking, he was a good person. I'm just as good as those people down there. He had been hurt, like a lot of folks, by the hypocrites in the church, and he didn't see any need to go. 
And the one time that mom finally got him to go many, many years before, someone come up to him during the invitation, grabbed hold of him, and tried to drag him down to the front, and so he vowed he'd never go back again. You can't earn your way to heaven by being good. Thank God for His grace that saves us. But, grace doesn't just save us. It's not like God's going to give us a dose of saving grace and then it's hands off from then on. Grace also strengthens us in our time of need. Grace also supplies for us what we're lacking. That's why Paul said to the church at Philippi, he said, but my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory. And we could go on and on talking about what God's grace does. And the whole fact of the matter is grace does what is needed. Whatever it is. And nothing's too big for the grace of God. Somebody says, well, preacher, if you understood what I'm going through, you would realize that there's just no hope for me. You'd just realize that why I've just given up on life and maybe others are thinking, boy, if that ever happened to me, I couldn't get through it. Listen, if you're a child of God and the will of God, you can get through anything that happens to you and you can do so because God promised my grace is sufficient. It was sufficient for Paul. It was sufficient for the saints down through the ages. It's sufficient for you. Oh, the riches... The riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, those, those unspeakable riches that we can't even begin to, to understand or explain or measure. Now, here in Ephesians chapter 2, notice in verse number 4, and here again we talk, see Paul talking about the matter of his riches, and he says, but God, who is rich in mercy... For His great love wherewith He loved us. I'm so thankful for God's mercy. You see, God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. And God's mercy withholds the wrath that we do deserve. His great love wherewith He loved us. And I read that and I think about that old song that says... Oh, I could sing forever of Jesus' love divine. And indeed, I could. That love is manifested by God's grace and by God's mercy. If you're a Christian here today, and you look back over the course of your Christian life, I can assure you that at some time in your life, it might have been yesterday, it might have been this morning, And I'll tell you right now, it was more than one time, but every child of God here, since the day they trusted Christ as their Savior, they've done something worthy of death. If God just was going to judge us across the board, we've all, even after we've been saved, at some point we've violated God's law. And I'm so glad that we have an advocate. Amen. That we have a mediator that stands between us and God. We have one that answers for our faults and our failures and all of our sins. 
And were it not for the mercy of God, even after we trusted the Lord as our Savior, we would have died. Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter number 3, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. In the very next verse, he said, they're new every morning. Just as sure as the sun comes up in the morning, the mercies of God are there during our time of failure. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And throughout our lifetime, we can be thankful that He is. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. But it doesn't end there. Romans chapter 9 and verse number 23 We see this actually again in here in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 where he said that he would grant us according to the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory, Romans 9.23 says, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which had afore prepared unto glory. What a grand and glorious subject this is. And we, we could just go on talking about it over and over and over again. But there are two things about His glory, the riches of His glory. Two things that we need to understand if we're going to really get the picture. First of all, there's the glory of His indwelling. Colossians 1 verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Aren't you glad? He's our hope of glory. And that just absolutely staggers the mind to think about the fact that Christ actually lives in us. This is the indwelling, the glory of His indwelling. That that He who walked upon the earth, He who spoke like never a man had spoke, He who worked miracles, He who raised the dead, and He who was raised from the dead... The very one who ascended back to the Father now lives within every child of God. Think about that. Every Christian is indwelt by the Son of God, and that's what makes them a child of God. He is our hope of glory, the glory of the indwelling of God. But it doesn't end there because as I often say the best is yet to come. And when you look here at verse 18 in Ephesians 1, notice there's the glory of his inheritance. Amen. He says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And here it is. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And again, I have to say, I don't have enough words to describe the wonders of this truth. I just wish I, I wish I knew some way, I wish I knew how to drive this home so everybody would understand it. And as I read these verses, I think, I think Paul felt exactly the same way that I do because notice he is praying that God will enlighten them, that God will open their eyes, that God will reveal this mystery that is beyond our comprehension. Paul is earnestly praying for that. There's something so remarkable about, about all of this, but there in verse 18 especially, and it's something that usually gets missed. 
Notice it's speaking about his inheritance. Not ours, but his. And the wonderful thing about it is that that we are his inheritance. I mean, how can that be? The saints are so precious in his sight that he considers them to be his inheritance. That's why I always say, don't you dare ever feel like you're unloved because this proves how greatly God loves you. He deals with it in Malachi chapter number 3 where he talks about the day that he's going to gather his jewels. God looks upon his people as his precious jewels. He speaks about them as being His. They are mine. Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, For the Lord's portion is His people. How wonderful is that? That God says, You, those of you that have been redeemed, redeemed by the blood of my Son, you are my inheritance. But there's more. The Bible also teaches over in 1 Peter chapter number 1 that we have an inheritance. And get this. He is our inheritance. We are His and He is ours. There is an inheritance that is for God and an inheritance from God. We are the heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And Paul is saying, I want everybody to know about this. I want the Gentiles to know, those who know nothing about the mysteries of God, I want to make this known to them. And that's why he says here in our text verse, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That ought to encourage every unsaved person to be saved today. To be able to enter into that inheritance that He's provided for you. Without Him, you have nothing. But with Him, you have, you have it all. Because Christ is all. It, it couldn't get any better than that. And we look, we have all of these riches that we can't comprehend, that we can't explain, that we can't even measure. We have all of these because, as the Bible says, though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. Thank God for what He provided for us. As wonderful as all of this is, the best is yet to come. And I say that because can you imagine how thrilling it will be when in that day when all of these things that, we, that, that can't be known now, when all of those things, all of the unsearchable riches of Christ are revealed. What are we going to do in eternity? Well, I think it will take eternity for us to understand and comprehend all of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And think about that unveiling time and time again and over and over and over. And only then will we finally, fully be able to see all that we have in Christ. 
And we'll understand that nobody got shortchanged. This is why I never get tired of preaching. I get tired in it, but I never get tired of it. I, I feel like a little kid opening his gifts on Christmas morning every time I get the privilege of, of preaching. And I look, at the, I look at the world today. I look at the religious world. I look at the churches today. And I'm so amazed by how, how little excitement there is with, with some folks. People that hear these glorious truths and without any expression of joy whatsoever, they just sit like a calf looking at a new gate and you can't get a holy grunt out of them to save your life. But, suppose, suppose that I stood before you today and say, and, and say that, look, you don't know it, but Corey... Someone informed me that you had a rich uncle worth millions. And he died. And he left the will for you. And they've asked me to read the will this morning. Can you imagine if I began to read that will and all of a sudden he begins to realize that that rich uncle has left him millions of dollars let me tell you, with most of us, if something like that happened, we'd be shouting and turning cartwheels. It just makes me wonder, what in the world is, is wrong with Christians nowadays? That the unsearchable riches of Christ do not even excite us. I think old Vans Havner got it right when he said, we've lost the wonder. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of a God who would love us while we're yet sinners. The wonder of one, the Son of God, though He was rich, stripped Himself of all of His riches and became poor and was nailed to an old rugged cross. Also, we might be rich. Rich in Him. Would you trust Him this morning? As I said, you might never have another opportunity. There'll never be a better time. Would you trust Him as your Lord and Savior this morning? Those awaiting baptism, if you'll come during the invitation and we'll instruct you from there. But whatever it is that God would have you to do, it might be you just, you just want to get down here and fall on your face and praise the Lord for the wonder of His unsearchable love. Father, bless Your Word this morning. Use it for Your glory. May Your saints be edified and may those that are lost this morning be, be saved before it's too late. Tear down every barrier. Remove every hindrance. Sweep away all of the excuses. And we just pray that that person that's nearest hell today might become a child of God and leave here with joy unspeakable and a peace that passeth all understanding. But we beg it all in Jesus' dear name. While we stand